you know, it's, it's not every day that you get to um, wear a shirt with the title of your message on it. Let me think about that, right? And uh, right now counts forever. The reason I want to wear this shirt today is because this is the theme for Crossway this year. This year. Right now counts forever. And I was preparing this message, and um, I was thinking, boy, that's a heavy message. <laughs> so thank you for praying for grace and provision and all those good things that, uh, that God provides for us. Um, pray with me, if you will. Lord, Jesus, I pray that you would give us eyes to see that right now counts forever. And there's reasons behind that, or there's reasons for that. And Lord, when we consider that phrase, and we see, Lord, that it confronts many, many things in our culture and society today. And Lord, I pray that you give us grace to hear from you this morning. And your mercy, Father, that we truly might rejoice and all that we learn and all that we know, that you might be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. With the theme right now counts forever, we really want Crossway kids to, to see how their present lives relate to their eternal destiny. I mean, how does today relate to forever? We think about time in lots of ways, right? We save time, we kill time, we lose time. And some of us have all the time in the world. But not one of us is powerful enough to stop or slow down the march of time. And we live in a culture that places the stress on right now. I mean, there's a 7 by 24 instant news cycle. And we've solved problems by Twitter in this world that we live in. And all of this points to a certain despair regarding the future. We find that our kids live in a world troubled by a culture that wants to blame everybody else for what's wrong in their own lives. Identity politics, destruction of values, social outrage, increasing violence inflict every city and state and every nation, really. What's more, if you don't have a personal interest or personal interest to protest, You can always take somebody else's interest as your own and protest for them. I mean, I get tired of reading the same story in the news over and over and over again. Social outrage that somebody flicked a piece of dust on me. Fear of reprisal has silenced truth-telling. And it leads to this amazing change in what can get you fired from your job. There was a guy at NC State last week who, a couple of tweets about rednecks that supported the current president. He resigned two days later. (laughs) Bam, bam, bam. I mean, wow. Sadly, our culture has been cut off from any concept of eternity. Since there's no recognition of eternity, all life must be lived for, for today. The unspoken, the unspoken assumption is that now or, it's now or never, so any hope in an eternal future seems foolish to many people. Then there's this great debate about what counts. What counts? We want to distinguish what really counts and what matters and what doesn't matter. I mean, is it black lives that matter? Or is it blue lives that matter? Or is it all lives that matter? 
This question of people everywhere, do I matter, is asked all the time, especially by our young people. But what if I'm old, or I'm injured, or I have special needs, or I'm unborn? Do I matter? In many ways, we have created this culture of death, including gun violence, physician-assisted suicide, abortion. Our nation is at war within itself. Values and family and morality has, have split families and cities and states and even nation. It seems that much of the foundation that once unified our civilization has been shattered. And once these questions are asked, the bigger ones follow quickly. Like, where did I come from? Who am I? And where am I going? We see these questions in the heart of teenagers and preteens on the Crossway team. Our kids face many issues, including this big one, where many otherwise smart, educated people believe that the world evolved into existence without God. The world has no purpose in that case. Because of this, they've decided since time and accident have created everything. Well, there's no absolute truth. There's no God that can be known. I mean, we have kids that are growing up with kids who believe this. And they want to know answers. They want, they want to have answers. And what this does, that no God can be known, means that the only opinion that matters is my opinion. <laughs> really. I mean, there's no basis to weigh out and to measure opinions, then the only one that really matters is mine. Why should I subject my opinion to anybody else's if there's no absolute truth? And then that flows into this convenient denial and boast that I will never be held accountable by God because there is no God. There is no God. Actually, the words, there is no God, are, do appear in the Bible. In several ways, but they're written like this. You got to read the whole verse. <laughs> you got to read the whole verse. Second Chronicles six fourteen. It's a prayer. It says, "Oh God, Lord of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart." Then Isaiah forty four six says. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. And Psalm 14, verse 1. Maybe not this verse 1. I did check that. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. One thing is clear. Thinking that says there is no God produces a life without hope. And it teaches us that right now doesn't count at all. Or if it does count, it only counts for right now. But Christians believe that there's more to our lives than right now. Because if there wasn't any more than what's right now, then we would say that right now is meaningless. But we do say that right now counts. Why? Because we believe right now counts because we are creatures who have an origin, an identity, 
and a destiny, all of which is rooted and grounded in an eternal God. The question of personal identity can never be answered merely in terms of the present. To know who I am involves a discovery of my past, my origins. That's why DNA testing is so popular. Where did I come from? And at least a a glimpse of my future, my destiny, where am I going in my life? Somebody entering school or entering college or just graduating from college, where am I going? I wake up in New York and a week later I'm in North Carolina. I wake up one day in Russia and a day later I'm in the United States. Or I wake up in Korea or in China and suddenly I'm in this other place. I wake up in Peru, Honduras. We, we, we're from all over. If I'm an accident springing from the cosmic dust and destined for non-existence when I die, then I'm nothing. I'm like a bad joke without a punchline. But if my roots are grounded in the eternal mind of God and my destiny is anchored in that same reality, then I begin to know the nature of who I am. I discover that I'm a creature of... <coughs> Value, because God values me. Then my life counts if I have value. It's not because of what I've done, but because God values me. And what I do counts forever because there is a forever. Since God reigns, everything that happens now has an impact for eternity. It's not now or never. It's now and forever. So, so we're going to take this theme, Right Now Counts Forever, and we're going to teach it to 12-year-olds and 14-year-olds and 16-year-olds and 18-year-olds. And we're going to teach it to 20-year-olds and 24-year-olds and 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds and 50-year-olds and 60-year-olds. Yeah, every, every, every age needs to remember that right now counts forever. It's just a little tricky when you're teaching 10-year-olds. Have you ever considered forever? Seasons come and go. So what would forever even be like? I've heard people tell me that, well, it sounds boring. It sounds really boring. I mean, I had one guy tell me, well, if there's no basketball in heaven, I don't want to go. No, I said, I said, look, don't worry about it. <laughs> Something be- basketball or better in heaven. That was what his heartbeat was about, was basketball. Telling you probably going to get it with. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe. What lasts forever? You might even ask, so what? Is there anything so great, of, with such great purpose, that it would require a forever to make sense? Is there anything worthy of existing forever? Is there any good reason for something to live on and on and on and on eternally? And where where will we turn to get the facts about forever? I mean, how helpful is science going to be? Just speculation doesn't seem very helpful. But deep within our heart, 
we know the desire to find meaning and purpose in our lives and labor and some meaning that would last forever. Deep within our hearts, we hear a desperate whisper to find the eternal. We know in our hearts that there must be more to this life. We all have this desire for significance. We have a desire to come to another country to make your life better. You have a desire to to get married and to share your life with your spouse. We have this whisper inside of us saying, there must be more. This can't be all there is. The Bible confirms this idea. In Ecclesiastes, of all the books, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, when it says, God has put eternity into a man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. We have this longing for eternity, and yet there's questions about beginning and the end. And your longing for forever is further confirmed when I ask this question. Who wants to produce or live for something that's only good for the moment and then perishes? Nobody. You all want to live for something that has eternal significance. You may have never admitted it. You may have never realized it, but you do. But nothing in nature seems to last forever. So this whole idea of forever is a supernatural idea. A supernatural idea that there's going to be a forever. Now, some religions speak about reincarnation or they speak about an afterlife and they have these ideas, but the Bible tells a completely different story. The message of the Bible, which is confirmed by historical genealogies, confirmed by fulfilled prophecies, confirmed by powerful miracles, speaks with superb clarity on this truth. It says that we're not going to just cease to exist when we die. We're not going to be reincarnated back into this world. We are not going to just become one with the cosmic essence. Instead, the Bible says things like this. Hebrews 1, 8 and 9 says, But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. Whoa. He's saying that God, to the Son, the, the Son will rule forever in eternal justice with more joy than any other. Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Jesus, the Lord in Christ, reigns forever over all the earth and all the heavens. Hebrews 7, 23 to 25. There were many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. I mean, how can they remain in office when they die? But because Jesus lives forever... His priesthood lasts forever. And then it describes what the priest does. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. 
He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. We have a priest who lives forever, who saves us forever and prays for us forever. That priest is Jesus. John 6, 51. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Those who follow Jesus will live forever. 1 Peter 1, 23 and 25. For you have been born again, not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. And as the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like the flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that is the word And that word is the good news that was preached to you. What this verse is saying is those who are born again live forever because they believe in the living word of God which never perishes. You can see how these things confront this whole idea that we're a cosmic accident. That we have no beginning. and I mean, we're just an accident. We're a mistake. We're fortunate coincidence of chances. 1 Corinthians 13 Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Faith and hope and love last forever. Science can't prove that. Science will never come close to understanding it. It's a supernatural idea. Revelation 21, verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. When the world and its cravings fade away, those who please, I'm sorry, in heaven Jesus will banish every tear for death and pain and sorrow will be gone forever. 1 John 2.17 And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. When the world and its cravings fade away, those who please God now will live forever. Second Corinthians, I mean Second Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9. In flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from His glorious power. Now this is the complete opposite. I've been describing those who believe in the Lord Jesus and have received Him by faith. This is describing those people who do not believe Jesus and have not received Him, do not live for Him. Those who don't know and refuse to obey the good news of God will receive eternal punishment and destruction Matthew 8, 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus has all authority in all places for all times and will always be with us 
be with those, with all who trust in him. There's a lot of alls in that. There's not much left out of that verse. Authority, time, places, who, and the fact that they trust in him. Nothing is excluded from the lordship of Jesus Christ forever. So eternity must exist. If you believe the Bible, then you will know that Jesus lives forever. And that he promised that you will live forever with him. If you believe the Bible, then you will know, also know that those who reject Jesus will be punished by God for eternity. Suddenly, this knowing and understanding the idea of forever becomes really important, doesn't it? You would be smart to ask, well, how can I move from eternal destruction to life forever? Every one of us needs to ask that question. How do I move from eternal destruction to life forever? For not only does Jesus reign forever, people exist forever, either living in joy with Jesus or in suffering in God's eternal punishment. You see, God plays for keeps. I was thinking about this, and suddenly this, this story came up. When I was about 10 years old, I would take my marbles to school to play at recess. So the idea with marbles is these little glass balls, right? The idea was two or three boys to get there, and they'd draw a big circle on the ground, they put all their marbles in the middle, and then they have a shooter, which is a little bit bigger glass ball. They have a shooter, and you put it on your thumb right here, and you flick it. And it smashes into the, the herd of balls and knocks one out. But you've got to get a lot of force with your thumb to get it. To, and you've got to be accurate to hit the ball. The boy who knocked the marble out of the ring would keep the marble. And then he'd pick up a shooter inside the ring and he'd hit another one. And he might clear the whole table. This was called playing for keeps. You played for keeps. The guy who knocked the marble out kept the marble. I was never good at this. My thumb wasn't... So you lost all your marble? <laughs> At the end of the paragraph, I'll get to that point. Give me, give me a second. I was thinking Greg's going to enjoy this little phrase right here. I, I know Greg's going to watch it. I was never good at it, so I asked my older brother to come help me by winning back the marbles that I had lost. And then I learned that there was another way to play the game. It was called funsies. Just playing for funsies. Well, in funsies, you just counted the fact that the marble went out of the ring, but you didn't lose it. You just kept a point for every marble you knocked out. So all the marbles that were then returned to who owned them, and you just, who won the game by how many points they scored. I felt much safer playing this way, because even if I lost the game, I wouldn't lose my marbles. (laughs) But it seems that God doesn't play funsies, does he? He's just. He's righteous. He's holy. We sang he's holy. He doesn't cut corners with anybody. But he's merciful. And he's filled with grace. God plays for keeps. And God wants to restore the intimate relationship that he intended us to have with him that we broke through our sins. Because we have failed to obey him and to love him, we need someone to win back for us what we have lost. Now who could possibly win back for us what was lost except for Jesus? The one who's going to rule and reign forever. That Savior is Jesus. Romans 5, 8 goes on to say, 
But God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, losing all of our marbles, Christ died for us. When we were at our very worst, he died for us. Jesus came to take the punishment we deserved and forgives us when we believe in him. The debt we could not pay, Jesus pays for us. He calls us to believe in him, turn away from our sin, receive his forgiveness and love, and in return, he calls us to embrace his plan for us, to embrace his future for us, to love him, to obey him, to love others, and to tell the whole world about him. So since there is a forever, God places value in everything we do, every laugh we enjoy, every pain we endure, every tear we cry. Since right now counts forever, it matters that you know God, believe in him and obey him and worship him and enjoy his goodness. Since there is a forever, every person, every moment, every act, kind or otherwise, matters to God. God wastes nothing in our lives. He is always at work to reveal his grace to us and to reveal his love to us. Now tell me, don't you want this to be true? You want this to be true. You want to know that God loves you and extends his grace and mercy to you. That you want to know that he's making all of this available to you. And all you have to do is believe. He's not saying you've got to climb a mountain. He's not saying you've got to go to the bottom of the ocean. You don't have to carry your burdens on your back forever. He's saying you want this to be true. That Jesus came to save. But tell me. Who among you when asked by someone in authority to do something right away. Have responded by saying something like this. Do I have to? Do I have to? Do I have to? You can't make me. Like all the time, right? It's, we have to suppress that response. How many of you, when reading God's good instructions in the Bible, calling you to repent, give Him this, this same, do I have to, response? When Jesus says in John 3, 7, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. What thoughts come to your mind? What do you mean I have to be born again? It doesn't matter what country you're from. It doesn't matter what language you speak. Jesus says you must be born again. So what's the response in your mind? To think, yes, this must be true. I want this. Or to say, oh no, I've got many reasons that I can't do that. Are you born again? In Acts 16.31, when the jailer asked Paul and Silas how to be saved, he, they answer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Do you believe in Jesus as Lord of your life? Believing is more than deciding or choosing. It means realizing that something is true and then embracing that truth and submitting your life to that truth and rejoicing in that truth. That God loves me. That my older brother Jesus came to do what I could not do. Believing is fully trusting your today and your future to God. Realizing that you believe God's truth can happen quickly or slowly. 
Yeah, I mean, you might be driving someplace, or you might be doing the dishes, or you might be at work, and suddenly you just think, oh, I believe that Jesus loves me. I believe that He died for me. I believe that He's forgiven me. Either way, fast or slow, it's the grace of God that's at work in you to bring you to believe, to open your eyes, as we've seen already, to see God and to receive Him. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2 says, this is Paul, as God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. He's, he's saying, don't accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. He's saying, let me be the Lord of your life. What would it mean to ignore gift, God's gifts of kindness? What would it mean to ignore God's gift of kindness? To God, I'm too busy right now, I don't need you. I'll come to you later when I've got my life all together. God, I'm sorry, I'm, I've got other things in my mind. I don't want to think about eternity. I need to, I need to pay the bills right now. You know, we all have a... Um, if we ignore this gift of God's kindness, it would be a terrible pity. A great loss for all eternity. We all have this set of rules we live by. Rules we cling to to make us happy. Rules we think that will give us success. I mean, you all have a set of rules. I'm going to go swimming every morning. It's a rule I'll live by so I can, be, I can have a healthy body. I'm going to eat right. That's my rule. I'm going to go to bed here. I'm going to get up here. I'm going to treat other people this way. That's, that's my set of rules. I'm going to live by these rules. They've served me well in the past, and I pray that they serve me well in the future. Everybody's got those rules. <coughs> we develop faith in our rules, don't we? Otherwise, we wouldn't follow them. But since faith is the key to receive God's gift of salvation, how would you define faith? And what would, be your, what would your definition include? The dictionary defines faith as a strong belief or trust in something or someone. The Bible, in Hebrews 11, defines faith as the assurance of things hoped for. So it's an assurance. The conviction of things not seen. So it takes it out of the world of sight into the supernatural world of assurance and conviction. But it's interesting how neither of those definitions mention God at all in their initial pass through the definition of the word. Faith is simply the trust people live by to arrive at the place they want to arrive, that they think will get them there. But the faith of many people is misguided. People tend to believe what they like. Maybe they heard it from a relative or a movie. It's really popular these days. Or a famous actor or even comic strips develop people's faith. But ultimately, both the Bible and the dictionary link faith to believing in God. But here's my point. Everybody has faith in something. It's either in God or themselves. One or the other. Or faith in your culture. Christians believe by faith that the God of the Bible exists and that eternity exists. 
forever exists. We have the assurance of these things from God's word. And that assurance becomes conviction when our faith is tested in the normal challenges of life. In a similar way, those who deny the existence of God and the reality of eternity make their denial by faith. They're preferring their own set of rules, their own set of of ways to live, compared to the Bible. Two totally contradicting messages. Live by my own set of rules, live by the Bible. Both derived from faith in something. So really, the object of our faith becomes very important, right? What our faith is placed in. You may know people who say they don't know if there's a God, who absolutely say there is no God, but you've never met a faithless person in your life. Every one of us here today lives by a set of rules or convictions and hopeful desires, even if it's only faith in ourselves or faith in our spouse. It's impossible to exist in this life without faith in something. So today I want to ask you this. What is a set of rules that you live by? We're here from many countries. What is a set of rules that you brought from your country? What is a set of rules that you brought from your parents? What is a set of rules that you brought into your life that that you live by? Is it what God says? On what beliefs do your hope rest? What will happen to you when you die? You know, we're all theologians. We all want to answer that question. What's the purpose of our life? Is there anything significant that I'm living for? The Bible teaches, so please understand this, that it is the destiny of every person to stand before God and be judged by Him according to what he said was right and good and holy. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. I want Crosswave kids to know at age 15 or age 12, they're going to be held accountable to a perfect and holy judge. But they have the Savior, Jesus, who's filled with grace and mercy. They just need to trust Him. 2 Corinthians 5.10 goes even further. and says, For we all must stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. That is a terrifying thought. If you don't know Christ, that should shake you to your bones. To say, I'm going to be judged for everything I've done and I'm going to receive what I deserve. But it's also a very dignifying thought, isn't it? Just to think, God the Creator has the dignity to hold me accountable for what I do and how I live. And He promises to reward me if I live according to His ways and trust Him. That's a very dignifying thing. I have this place before God. I mean, if the policeman comes to you and says, well, you did this wrong, but you're nobody, so I'm not even going to worry about prosecuting you. You know, that's, that's not dignifying. But to be accountable 
That's a, there's a dignity to God because we're made in His image, you see. But this thing that the, the, there's a judgment coming means that everything that happens today has eternal significance. Every cup of water given to a thirsty person counts, and it counts forever. Every act of kindness will be appreciated forever. Every idle word will be judged and will count forever. Every truth of God believed will be cherished forever. Indeed, right now, counts forever. And how can you be ready for when that judgment comes? Acts 16.31 said it really clearly. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Someone asked you to bow your heads. We're going we're gonna to pray. And then we're going to sing a song. I'm going to ask you to pray to God and say, God, help me to believe. Believe what? Believe that Jesus is God, the Son of God. Ask God to help you believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus. That he became a man, lived a perfect and holy life here on the earth, that he died on the cross, but he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven where he lives now. Ask God to help you believe and understand that we are all sinners and that we need to trust Jesus to take our sins upon himself, take take our sins off of us onto himself, and that in exchange for our sins, God gives us faith to believe Him and He forgives us. Ask God to cause you to be born again. Ask God to help you live in repentance before Him. Ask God to help you live with purpose. In Jesus' name, Amen. What we think, what we say, What we do and what we don't do, it all matters to God. And we matter to God. You see, God wastes nothing. Right now counts forever. If you'd like to to talk about this more, please see me. Um, A lot of thoughts right now, what counts and forever. A lot of big concepts, but I pray that each one of us would receive Jesus. As our saviors. So turn to page 55 if you want.